Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. As our custom is, when we, we, we start our, our worship services, what I try to do is I try to give you a, a background of where we've been over the last three or four weeks. Because sometimes people can't make it every week and they don't catch us online. So I want to catch you up to date, a little, little recap. And it's also in your bulletins, by the way. So in the back of your bulletin, you'll see the, the scripture verses that we're using, as well as a little recap at the beginning of, of where we've been. So we started off a few weeks ago by saying, well, this is the letter of James. And who was James? James is the half-brother of Jesus. He was a very important person in Jerusalem. He was the bishop of the church in Jerusalem. And we call him the half-brother of Jesus Christ because even though Joseph and Mary were his mother and father, Jesus' father was actually the Holy Spirit. So he's a half-brother of Jesus. That's as good as you can get, okay? Half-brother, that's all you get. Um, and James wrote this epistle, so we said, to the scattered tribes, the scattered tribes coming out of Jerusalem. This was during a time of persecution. And one of the things that James says, he says, count it all joy when you have trials of all different kinds. And we talked about that, and we actually used the Hallmark movies, remember? It was kind of fun. We went through the Hallmark movies that all of us watched uh, during Christmas. And we said, you know, in many ways, life is like a Hallmark movie. Because you're, you've got a certain destination in place. You, you know exactly what you're supposed to do. And all of a sudden, there's a God throws you a curve. Life throws you a curve. And you end up someplace you're not supposed to be. But it still works out. God still has something to show you. There's a blessing along the way if we just allow God to work that out for his glory. And then we took a look at, uh, at wisdom. And one of the things we said is that, aren't you glad that with age comes wisdom? And the reason with age comes wisdom is because we have perspective. We've been around the block before, right? I used to say, this is not my first rodeo. I've done this before. With, a, with, with wisdom, with age comes perspective. And with perspective comes wisdom. Now, last week, uh, we looked at how God exalts people, okay? The humble are brought high and they're exalted but at the same time even the rich that are humbled God exalts as well because we can glory in both of those things both of those things God is doing something in our life so even if you're rich or whether you're poor there's all kinds of opportunities to be able to give God the glory so today we get a few more verses we're going to be talking about something that's common to all of us and that is temptation. Actually, the better uh, uh, name for our, our sermon today would be enduring temptation. Because it's not just temptation itself. It's enduring temptation that provides a blessing. And we're going to be in James chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. We're going to take it up in two different sections, but we'll put all the verses together right now. James says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my, brother, my beloved brethren, for every good gift and every perfect gift is from above 
and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. You know, so James starts us off by saying, blessed is the man who endures temptation. Now, what does that sound like? Well, it sounds like the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are you, blessed are those. In fact, that's why James so often, the whole letter of James, is compared sometimes to the Sermon on the Mount, where we have the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are actually eight declarations. When In our men's group, we talked about the Beatitudes. It was a great study going through these eight or nine, depending on how you count. Um, uh, but the similarities are striking. You know, for example, on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, blessed are you when people reproach you, persecute you, and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. That's Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. And put, we'll put a pin on this comment of Jesus about your reward in heaven. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. Now, in the Sermon on the Mount, like I said, there's eight or nine blessings, again, depending on how you count. It's blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the peacemakers, and we've already had the last one, which is a blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. So while Jesus didn't include this blessing, it's obvious that there's a number of blessings that God gives us. It's not just the few that are in the Beatitudes. God can bless us in all kinds of ways. That's kind of why we said life is often like the Hallmark movies. There's blessings around the corner. Sometimes we just don't realize it when we get there. Now, notice Jonah, James doesn't say, blessed are you when you succumb to temptation and you quickly repent. And I, I've got to admit that that was my life for many years. I, I was a quick repenter, okay? I would, I would succumb, but I, would rep I was a good repenter. Man, I would repent all day long. Uh, repentance is good. Don't get me wrong. I mean, repentance is good. Forgiveness is available, however. That's really not what James is saying here. Neither does James say, blessed is the man who is never tempted, man or woman. Uh, that really doesn't exist. All of us, um, temptation is common to, to all of us. H have you noticed that as you've aged, um, that temptations change? Uh, we're still tempted. It's just that the things that tempted me when I was 17, 18, 19, and a young man are no longer the things that tempt me now. But temptation is still there. So James has something important to say to all of us. Now, James also doesn't say, blessed is the man who quickly dismisses temptation. You know, that's a wonderful quality. It really is, and something that all of us should aspire to. You know, I remember years ago, do you remember the organization called Promise Keepers? Some of you men likely went to some of the Promise Keepers. In fact, my wife actually went and worked in the bookstore. I mean, that's what, that's what she did because Promise Keepers would come in. That was Bill McCartney. Bill McCartney was the football coach for the University of Colorado, and he started this men's organization uh, that, that literally tens of thousands of men. I went to a couple of them. One of them was in the Pontiac Silverdome. There must have been 65,000 men all singing praises to God and listening to the speakers as they talked on, on a number of different attributes. In fact, there were seven promises uh, that they talked about. The promises, they've changed over time, but they were basically honor, brotherhood, moral purity, family, service, unity, and obedience. 
It was a good organization. It really was. Now, there were detractors, a lot of the radical feminists and the people that were pro-abortion and some of the homosexual advocates, they would line up outside and they chant different things as the men went in. They, they really didn't get what we were trying to do, or maybe they did. Maybe that's exactly why they were there. Um, but one of the things I learned, and the reason I bring it up is because the speakers often taught the men tools for resisting temptation. And one of the tools they taught me, I remember it very well, it was called bouncing your eyes. You guys remember that, bouncing your eyes? And the idea was this, is that as you're walking, a young man this is, um, you're walking down the street and you see one of God's finer creations, okay? Some, some beautiful woman coming at you. And, and so often, and, and guys do this, is they, they, they don't just kind of look, they, they stare, right? They, they fixate, they, they stay focused on God's creation rather than the creator. And, and that's where temptation lies. So what they taught us was to bounce our eyes. To, if you see uh, something <laughs> catching, uh, you just bounce your eyes and look some. Now, this goes all the way back to Adam. It really does. Did you know this? It's in the Bible. Um, Adam had this problem because remember Adam and Eve. If you go to Genesis 1, you can do that tonight. It's homework for you. Uh, you. Go back to Genesis and you take a look at Genesis and God brought all the animals and creatures of the world and Adam named them all. And then finally God took a rib out of Adam's side. He created woman, okay? And he brought her to Adam. And what did Adam say? Whoa, man, right? Oh, you uh, woman. Okay, it's a bad joke. It's a bad joke. But but the idea is this: is that what what promise keepers taught us was to guard our eyes, to guard our eyes, and that's one of the ways that we endure temptation. The Bible says that the lamp of the body is the eye. If your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if the eye is bad the whole body will be full of darkness. And this was the idea of bouncing your eyes to, to look on somewhere else. This is a good tool. And James says, blessed is one who endures temptation. Well, one of the reasons he's saying this is what I mentioned when we first started, which was James is writing to a group of people that believe in the Messiah. These are the early Christians. They're primarily Jewish, but there's a few Gentiles with them, and they're coming from Jerusalem. And they're being scattered because of persecution to a lot of different places, into Asia Minor. And they're going into basically pagan lands. Now, you can say a lot of things about Jerusalem over the centuries, good and bad. But by the time Jesus came along, you could say that Jerusalem was the moral and religious capital of the world. It really was. I mean, the Pharisees and the Sadducees had so many rules and regulations. You know, for example, if, if you were caught committing adultery, something quite unfortunately is very common these days, but back then, if you were caught committing adultery, you could be stoned to death. That's how serious they were about their religion. If you violated a dietary law, or if you violated a Sabbath law, for example, you could be expelled from the, from the synagogues, okay? You wouldn't be able to participate in the temple worship. That's how serious they were about religion. And these people that were used to that were going into the pagan lands. Now, they had to, they had to endure. They had to endure. You know, uh, when you take a look at, at temptation today, uh, temptation is not graded like A, B, C, D, whether you pass. It's, it's pass or fail. You either pass the test of temptation or you fail that trial of temptation. It's, it's a pass fail. And that was what it was like for these people. They had, to, they had to endure. They had to endure. So let's continue and see what James has to say about temptation. James says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. 
For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one of us is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. You know, James knows, like we know, that people often have the tendency to blame God when they go through a trial, when they are tempted. It's, it's God's fault. Adam did that, right? Adam said, you gave me the woman. I mean, you gave me to her. It's so easy to blame God. Our insurance policies, if you go home and take a look at your insurance policy, on the 17th page in paragraph 13 in very small print, it says, not covered by acts of God, right? Acts of God. God is the guy that gets blamed for disasters, for things that really go bad, that things go bump in the night. That, those things that happen that are outside of our ability to control them are called acts of God. We so easily blame God. Now, this is truly unfortunate, and it's unfortunate for, for two main reasons. One is that we need to bless God for everything that he's given us. He's a good God, and he's a giving God in all of the things we have. Like We started off talking about stewardship in Psalm 24, 1, that, that everything belongs to the Lord, and he's given it all to us for, for our benefit. So we forget to, to give thanks to God, but as soon as something goes wrong, we end up blaming God for the very things that we actually should have been thanking him along the way. But here's the second reason I think that's just as important. James tells us that rather than blaming God, who by very nature is incapable of being tempted or by evil or using evil to tempt us, James says we need to look within. And see, that's the real problem with temptation, is we don't understand that it's really coming from within. James says each of us is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires. And in other translations of this verse, it says when we are lured away. Now, if there's any fishermen in here, anybody that's been fishing, you know that fishermen use lures, right? And what is a lure? A lure is something that it looks like a tasty treat to a fish, right? It looks like something they like to, to bite on, but they so no sooner bite onto it that they're next into the frying pan. It lures them away because it entices them, something that looks attractive to them. Notice here that James also echoes what the Apostle Paul tells us. Because the Apostle Paul tells us that the wages of sin is death. And that when sin is desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin, when full grown, brings forth death. This is what James is saying. Is that this is why temptation, enduring temptation, is so important to us. It's a pass-fail on how well we're maturing in God's eyes. It's, how, it's a pass-fail on whether or not we're becoming more and more like Jesus or more and more like their neighbors down the street. This is why James is talking about it. It's serious business. And we are able to resist. We are able to persevere. And when we do, there's a huge blessing that's attached to it. I want to call your attention as well to the fact that James is writing to this church that is scattered. Jewish believers all out through Asia Minor that need to be a witness to the people around them rather than them being a witness to you. You know, years ago, my, my daughter, who was around 14, 15 years old at the time, who was very, very smart, too smart for her age, uh, came to me and she wanted to do some things that her mom and I didn't think were the best things for her to do. And, and, and what she, she said, because she knew the Bible, she was going to Christian school, she said, you know, Jesus spent time with prostitutes. Jesus spent time with, with, with drinkers. Jesus did that, you know? Um, <laughs> and she's, she was right, but I, this is what I told her. I said, here's the thing. Jesus had more of an impact on the people around him 
than they had on him. Okay? When you can say the same, you can do anything you want to do. But until then, you're going to have to do what your mother and I want to do. Okay? Because that's temptation. There's certain things that we can endure and certain things that we're not ready for. We're just not ready for it. So let's, let's go on. Um, blessed is the man, verse 12. It says, blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life. I told you we'd come back to this. The crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now, I understand, you know, as I was preparing, that there's, there are some that have difficulty with this idea of, of rewards, rewards. But I want to I kind of spend a little bit of time on this and explain some things to you. First of all, my, the way I interpret the Bible is to take it as literally as possible. As literally as possible. And when it says that there's a crown of life, in fact, when the Bible talks about crowns, in fact, there's five different crowns. We, we're not going to go through them today. Five different crowns mentioned in the Bible for acts of service. I think we take it literally. Not only that, this crown is actually what's called a stephanus, a stephanus, unlike a diadem. A diadem is what the Queen of England wears. It's this crown that has diamonds in it. A stephanus is a reward. It's a reward that's given to a, to, to a winner, runner of a race, okay? It's, it's a blue ribbon. It's well done. It's an attaboy. That's what this, this Stephanus is. It's, a, it's well done. Good and faithful servant. That's, that's what this, this crown of life is. Um, now, this is giving an idea of how important this is, however. This crown of life is mentioned also in the book of Revelation. It says this. It says, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. This was one of the letters to the churches. That you may be tested and you will have tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful until death. Endure, is what it's saying. And I will give you the crown of life. That's Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. So the crown of life is obviously a reward that's given for faithful service. For endurance through trials. Like I said, we're not going to do the whole study, but there's a lot to be said for these rewards. Now, before I, I move on, before I turn the page, I want to tell you that this crown of life is not eternal life. It's not eternal life. And you'll see that even more as we go on and talk about gifts. This is a free gift of God. Eternal life is a free gift of God. There's nothing we do to earn eternal life. Jesus did it all on the cross. Did it all on the cross. It's just a free gift. These are things that because we've done them, we get a, an attaboy. We get a Stephanus. We get a, a crown. We get, a, we, get, we, get, we get something from the Lord because of our, our faithful service. So let's go on. Bible says in verse 16, it says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. I want to talk a little bit about this idea of every good and perfect gift. James says, do not be deceived. And where does deception come from? It comes from Satan, the one that lures, the one that tempts us, the one that teaches us. His strategy has always been to use our own selfish, sinful desires against us. You know, somehow we believe that we can accomplish something faster or better than God's plan. Right? We saw that going all the way back to the Garden of Eden, with the, eating the forbidden fruit. We saw that if you've been with us in Genesis and Exodus. By the way, if you haven't been coming to our Bible studies at 10 o'clock and 11 o'clock uh, during the week, they're great. They really are a lot of fun. I enjoy putting them together. We've already gone through Genesis and half of Exodus. And you'll even see in Exodus, uh, you know, Abram thought he could uh, get it done quicker. God said he was going to have a promised child, so decided he was going to do it through the maidservant rather than through his his wife. 
We try to do things quicker, and that's not the way that God wants us to do things. James says that every good and perfect gifts comes from the Father of lights. And it's really true. We receive gifts. When you receive a gift, sometimes you wonder if there's a hidden agenda. Does that happen to you? I mean, it happens to my wife. I mean, I can tell you. I mean, just think about it. Rather than using me as an example, just any guy. Let's just say any guy's out traveling, and it's not Valentine's Day. It's not birthdays. It's not an anniversary. It's not any special day. And he comes home with a, a whole bunch of flowers, right? The wife says two things. She says, thank you for the flowers, and what did you do? <laughs> what did you do? Right? I mean, that's what you think. Sometimes people give you a gift, and you wonder, well, thank you for the gift, but I wonder why you're giving us the gift. Well, we don't have to worry that with God, because God gives us perfect gifts. There's no agenda. God just loves us, and he gives us those things. I'm reminded of, of the years I spent in, in Mexico. It was, a, it was a great time. That's why I mention it so, so often. My son and my daughter-in-law live in Mexico now. They've been there for 14 years. It, it, it really changed all of our lives. And one of the things we did, or they did, Ford Motor Company did when I moved on to Mexico, is they, they taught us a little bit about the Mexican culture. And the Mexican culture, they excel at gift giving. They really do. It's, uh, you know, it's not unusual, for example, if you're invited to somebody's house here in the United States, you might bring a welcome present right, of some kind. That's not that unusual. The Mexicans do it in spades. It's amazing how they do it. And we were, tr we, they tried to prepare us of what it was going to be like. You know, for example, our Ford dealers in Mexico embraced this tradition um, to the nth degree, okay? When I, re when I got down there, those are my dealers. I was, I was the head of the company and they wanted to get to know me and I got to head and get to know them. So I spent a lot of time visiting the dealers in their dealerships as well as in their homes. Now, when I was invited to a home, I brought a gift. And, and often flowers would have been sufficient, but I was encouraged by my Mexican coworkers uh, to, to amp it up a little bit, uh, to bring a fine wine or maybe tequila, or maybe a box of cigars to the dealer. If I was gonna give something to the, to the wife of the dealer, rather than just flowers, how about an exquisite plant of some kind? Something, something very nice, even, even jewelry. You know, on a number of occasions, I had to call our HR director. Her name was uh, Vicky. She worked for me, but she knew the rules and the regulations, and she was Mexican, so she understood what we could do and what we couldn't do. And I was so relieved to find out that when I received some gifts that I thought were a little too extravagant that we wouldn't be able to accept in the United States, I could accept them. I didn't have to um, reject them. I didn't have to shame the dealer and have to give him back the gift. I could take the gift, but I had to give it to the company, and the company would give it to a charity. I was actually given a Rolex watch. That's a, that's a pretty expensive gift, isn't it? I don't have it. I gave it to Vicky, okay? I gave it to Vicky. Now, the thing was is this, is that while we were there, we received a number of gifts and gave a number of gifts, and there were some rules. Now, were they, were they ethical? Yes, they were, because that was the custom of the time, okay? Um, were they appropriate? Well, yes, that's what I was told. This is the appropriate kinds of gifts you want to be able to give, if, especially if you're that, at that level in a company or if you're that kind of influence, uh, you can afford that kind of a gift for, for different people, so that was very appropriate. Were they good and perfect gifts? No, they were not. Right, because they came with the idea of favor. They were not trying to buy my favor, but make sure that they I, they had my favor. I wanted me. They wanted the guy that gave me the Rolex. Obviously, wanted me to know who he was. Right, wanted me to remember that individual dealer. Um, so that's that's what they came with. They weren't 
perfect gifts. They weren't true. They weren't the kind of gifts that God gives. The Bible says that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And the reason is, is we can start with who God is. God is good. He's gracious. He's long-suffering. He's kind. We forget how well he provides for us. God, Jesus, uh, James is reminding us that the gifts that God provides are expressions of his love for us. Notice that James writes that every good and perfect gift is from above. He goes on to say that he's the father of lights. You know, when we go, during the day, we don't see the stars, okay? We sometimes see the moon, but we see the sun and the clouds. We don't see the stars. But if you go into space, the stars are always there. Because God is the Father of light. He gave us all of those lights. He created the heavens and the earth, and they're all there for, for our benefit. What an awesome God we serve. Heaven and earth extends to his people gifts on high. There are no words in our vocabulary that can actually express the thanks that we need to have for our good God. All we can say is really thank you, God. James ends this message with the words, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. What's that referring to? It's referring to the immutable, changeless God, okay? God doesn't change. The Apostle Paul in 1 John says, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. This is the same theme. This is the same theme as the father of lights. There's no variation or shadow. God doesn't change. In Hebrews 8, the Bible says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Malachi chapter 3, it says, I, the Lord, do not change. And again, you know, in our, in our Wednesday, I'll give you another plug to our Wednesday Bible studies. In Exodus, we started taking a look at some of the, some of the feasts of, of, of Israel. You know, we had, they, had gone through, um, um, they had gone through the Passover. And God gave them Passover as a, a forever feast, as well as the Feast of, um, uh, the feast of Unleavened Bread. And there were two reasons that God gave them feasts. One is to remember the goodness of God that God had provided for them. They wanted to remember the, that God had always provided and also to remind them that God doesn't change. That's the idea of these feasts, that, that God doesn't change. That, that Lamb of God, okay, that Lamb that was sacrificed at Passover became the Lamb of God, which is Jesus, which we see in the book of Revelation still, standing at the right hand of the Father. God doesn't change. God is good. God is gracious and is kind. He's long-suffering, and he's not willing that any of us should perish. That's what the Bible says. That's why he gave us his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. It's a free gift. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you. You are so You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.